What about the dragons? We have the two of them here, beneath the pyramid. They are not eating. They haven't touched any food since Queen Daenerys left. Daenerys is the dragon queen. We can't very well let the dragons starve, that's obvious. If a dragon does not want to eat, how do you force him to eat? Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Academic Roundtable with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host Wayne Wise and Hannah Lee Rogers. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey Mav. Hey, hey. Welcome to Box Podcast. It's not Game of Thrones, but that's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I, want, I want to sit on the Iron Throne. I, <laughs> uh, do you really though? Do you really? Don't people die by sitting on the Iron Throne? Like literally. <laughs> Uh, well, so as you might have guessed, this week's show, eh, well, I guess it's sort of about Game of Thrones, it's about Game of Thrones and other stuff. Yeah. Once again, after a couple weeks ago where we had the show devoted to in-game, now we're going to have the show devoted to the finale of Game of Thrones, which seems to have been a cultural event, but also we're going to be talking about series finales in general. Is that accurate? Just, you know... Endings, yeah. but not like endings like in game where it's like endings and beginnings and franchises. This is about like closure or not, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And this right. this is our last ever episode, so we're bound to disappoint you. Uh, no, that's not, that's not true. That's not true. Yeah, don't cheer now. There's don't cheer now. It's not our last. <laughs> no, we should be like the Muppet Show. One day, at our height of popularity, we should just quit. Just disappear. <laughs> Oh, so uh, I want to be that guy that blows things up. (laughs) (laughs) And that voice, I'd like to welcome back to the show, Michael Chimmers. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody left the door open and I just... (laughs) I mean... There's a door back there that says, you know, it's just a screen door. I mean, it does say, do not come in. And, and it actually, there's a handwritten thing under this is, do not come in, Michael Chemers. But I didn't think that was for me. So, because no, well, we, we made the S backwards in order to be like, you know, yeah, I <laughs> little that. rascals kind of thing. And I smelled coffee and beer. So I came in and it turns out that I wasn't smelling either coffee or beer, but Chris Maverick. <laughs> I do. I do not have coffee this morning. <laughs> well, I'm to know you're not secretly in my house. <laughs> nice place you got here. <laughs> so, anyways, we all watched the finale of Game of Thrones, as did the rest of the internet. And we're going to do a few things on the show. If you have, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, there's no way you didn't watch it that night. So, that said, just in case. Once again, we're going to spoil the shit out of this show. So you've been warm. So but, to be um, fair, if you've been on Twitter, 
Yeah. Like yeah, people who live tweet Game of Thrones like it's like a Super Bowl game right. or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Right. If you're listening to this show and you care about Game of Thrones, you've seen the final episode. Yeah. But before we really get into it, I want to do the um, the thing we did on the Endgame show. Did you like it? I like things about it. I, I, let me first of all, who here has read the books and seen the show? I've read the books. Um, you, you can't see this, but I'm raising my hand really high. OK, OK, because <laughs> uh, there are differences. Am I the only one? Who doesn't actually care about Game of Thrones, but knows a lot about it? Yes, <laughs> on the planet, absolutely. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not and not just the planet. There are there are orbiting satellites in distant <laughs> galaxies that are picking up this broadcast and going, "What the hell? What the hell was that with Tyrion's final yeah, speech?" Yeah. These are these are creatures uh, that are amphipods and and strange aliens with multiple heads, you know, and they are they're going like what the hell with Game of Thrones. The the oh the, the typical fanboy community then. <laughs> yeah. I mostly liked it. Yeah, I mostly liked the finale. Um, I, I mostly liked last season. There were things I had problems with, which we'll get into. But I don't have the amount of rage hate that like lots of people seem to have had. But I also um, I, I see some faults. That's true of everything, and. I have never read the books, but I'm going to say it shouldn't matter. No, yeah, you're you're right. Well, no, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. just saying that the I'm just saying that according to the books, some things just don't make sense. So as a person who's never read the books, yeah. and and just if you've read the books and you're going into this, your perspective on a lot of these events change because mm-hmm. there is different information. There's a different narrative. Um, so, you know, as someone who's done both, I can't help but compare the mm-hmm. two. Um, I mean, one one of the examples, I guess, just jump right into one of the things that people talked about. Um, Bran you know, rising to, you know, he, he is now king of Westeros or whatever. And I, I would make the point that given his character development in the books, that's something that, that I can fully believe is where this series is going. And I have no problem with it. They didn't sell it to me on the show. Not at all. Absolutely. No. Yeah. Now you're getting into it. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that like, th- this is the thing, right? Like, that what exactly happened on the show throughout the entire like eighth season wasn't necessarily bad. It's just like in, in, in the events of themselves, except for like Jamie sleeping with Brienne and leaving her. I'm so mad. And I, <laughs> that's all you're going to hear from me on the show. Probably. I just, no, it's just, stu- I just, I can't handle just no. <laughs> no, for so many reasons. I can be more articulate, but this is maybe not the time for that because we're doing general stuff, but no, I, Hannah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, that what happened to Brienne, her arc, was so much more justified and supported by the show than many other people's arcs, right? And the fact that that she would, you know, get to the point where she could be okay enough with her own self to um, to make love to Jamie and then have her heart shattered by him, right? That's like that's a that's a very powerful arc for her. It's horrible that Jamie fucking did it because Jamie had no arc at all. Jamie didn't change a bit. Yeah, in the books, I think one. he did. In the books, I mean, we, it looks like he's going to. Yeah, and that may change I mean, as we get there. Through I got a whole thing now. about this, but yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Whatever. I refuse to believe that that will happen in the books. Here's my conspiracy theory. George R. R. Martin told them a vague outline of some of the things that will happen. And then he let them do what they're going to do. And now he has the feedback from the viewers and he can change the crap that's wrong. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly right. No, I absolutely believe this to be true. Exactly what you said, Hannah, because, and this is actually, you know, you guys asked me to, to pack up a whole big bag of pseudo-academic stuff. Um, and I, I have a whole bag full right here, but uh, some <laughs> of it became actual academic stuff because um, 
Andrew Beveridge and I, a couple of years ago, we published a, uh, an article in a, um, a chapter, sorry. We published a chapter in a book and the chapter is called The Game of the Game of Thrones, Networked Concordances and Fractal Dramaturgy. And that's me and Andrew Beveridge. And uh, we, we took some of these um, ideas that, that used to be pseudo-academic ideas and, and we published them. So now they're actual academic ideas. Um, mm. <laughs> but what we did is he's a mathematician at uh, McAllister uh, College. And um, uh, I'm a, a, a professor of dramatic literature at the University of California, by the way. I didn't mention that. And what we did is we used big data analytical techniques like network analysis. And he, with a student, had actually become a little famous in the uh, nerdosphere by creating a, ne a networked uh, concordance for all the characters in Game of Thrones. And he did it for the books and for the movies. It's a tremendous job, right? And mm -hmm. they're quite lovely when you actually look at them. Um, I, it, it occurred to me that we should uh, give your listeners a link. Um, it's called Network of Thrones, and you will find it at networkofthrones, all one word, lowercase, dot wordpress.com. It's linked in the show notes. Terrific. And uh, so it's called A Song of Math in Westeros. And um, <laughs> he talks about the work that we did, and you can actually see these charts that he created. They're quite lovely. Anyway, so the interesting thing about about this is that what we discovered was that when you are talking about doing literary analysis or character analysis, dramatic analysis for plays, I mean, for cultural products that are so huge that they transcend uh, genres and they transcend all of the normal boundaries by which we are accustomed to use these kinds of tools. You know, Aristotle's tools, for instance, are designed for, you know, tragedies that, that uh, are like, you know, three hours long and then you go home. Right. Uh, Aristotle mm -hmm. never conceived of doing a criticism for something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. So one thing that we know is that you cannot analyze the arc of one Captain America paperback um, story in the absence of all the other Captain America stories right. and all the other Captain America movies and all the other Captain America TV spinoffs, whatever. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., even though he never appeared in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he affects the things in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and so on and so on and so on. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, Noah Ward Prune, who's my colleague out here, he calls these vast narratives. Um, and the problem with it is that we have to, if we want to critically engage with these, we have to develop a synthetic approach that includes data gathering and analysis and cultural criticism. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, intertextuality, we'd call it in, yeah. in literary analysis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And the, the amazing thing, and this is why I'm going on this long rant, because Hannah said something that I thought was so to the point, you know, that I really wanted to talk about it, is that this is the first time, Game of Thrones represents the first time that I know of, where the adaptation of the material, in this case, the televisual adaptation of the novels, has overtaken the source material, right? So, mm. so in Harry Potter, for instance, you can actually see, I mean, J.K. Rowling, bless her heart, she denies this up and down, but you can see that in the later books, which she wrote after the first movies came out, she's making certain emphases and certain changes that seem to respond to the movies, right? Like she describes, Absolutely. yeah, she describes the characters so that they look a little bit more like the actors who play them. She also becomes a better writer, to be fair, yeah. but uh, as time goes on. But yes, yeah, she absolutely does make changes. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, some people, some people in my sphere, literary critics and so on, you know, they say, oh, that's an adulteration. Oh, pop culture is infesting the literature, you know, which I think is complete and total bullshit. Can I say bullshit on this show? 
Yes. Absolutely. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's bullshit because no writer, no author creates in a vacuum. Everybody creates within communities, within societies, and you and you you take things that you know there's, there's a, a feed, there's a feedback loop. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a feedback yeah. loop. And there should be, right? Because if yeah. you're sitting there by yourself like the Unabomber writing novels, you know, uh I doubt that those novels will be connected, that the people will be able to respond to them. Now, there's certain exceptions to this, obviously. Well, I mean, like, you know, Samuel Richardson, 18th century guy who invented the novel, according to some people, had a whole circle of people who, like, gave him feedback. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Everybody and does. Even if you're a, you're a novelist at any level, if you're doing NaNoWriMo in November, the entire point is to sit there with your friends and, you know, you go to writer circles, you go to, um, you, you, I mean, in class, when I was as an undergrad, I had writing workshops. That was part mm-hmm. of my creative writing degree. That's the point. You're supposed to get feedback. You're not supposed to write in a vacuum because the point of writing is to communicate with people. So it helps if you have people to giving you feedback with, so, right. so you know what you're communicating. That's right. Exactly. I was Unless you're, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're Emily Dickinson and you're a genius, you never show anybody anything until you're dead. And then people are like, Oh wow. How'd she do that? You know? So, yeah. I mean, so there are exceptions to the, you know, um, but I think that there's a far more like people who like, like Emily Dickinson who wrote and wrote and wrote in total isolation. And then when someone discovered their work after they were dead, they were like, this is incomprehensible and threw it away. Right. We never hear from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there are lots of them, I'm sure. Yeah, yes. exactly. That, so that's my goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And having read your work, Wayne, while you're alive, I think well on the way, actually that is not true. Wayne is the author of, <laughs> of several wonderful novels, which I have read and enjoyed tremendously. Thank you, Mike. Uh, link to them in the chat. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So I'm sorry. Uh, this is getting long. So I was reminded when we were looking at this stuff of a um, a quote that Borges uh, said. And of course, Borges was a real supernova of an intellect. And one of the things he said was, is that he had read the uh, translation of a piece um, and then he learned another language specifically so that he could read the original and he didn't like the original. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, this is a, this is a, well, see if I could, he was Spanish. So I can't do a Spanish accent right now. It's too early. Um, <laughs> he said, he said, this is a case of the original being unfaithful to the translation. <laughs> and I think that this is exactly the game that George R. R. Martin is playing that Hannah suggested, Right. He is a very, very smart writer. He is very canny. He absolutely knows what he's doing. And I am absolutely convinced that he is modifying his original ideas for the novels based on responses from Game of Thrones. And I do not believe that this is adulteration. I don't believe that it's fan service. I I believe he's doing it. Um, And the plus side of that is that I think the novels are going to be fantastic. But we have to... If you ever I think it's adorable that you guys think there's going to be more. There's going to be more novels. He said, he said <laughs> the next one will be out by next summer. I know. I know. He said. No, he said that. He said that ten years ago. <laughs> I know, really but I cute. think the reason why they're not out is is because yeah, of Hannah's waiting. theory that he's waiting yeah. to see how people respond. And he, like uh, me, speaking knows of which, wait, wait, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make you guys some money now. So if you guys could stop in Wayne's store and you want to subscribe to a book called Leave It to Chance, <laughs> it could be out any moment now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. We talked about that on the previous show. <laughs> yeah. So basically, if George R. R. Martin is listening to this show slash the rest of the internet, you know how about is. not? Yes, obviously he cares. How about not having like all of your really badass female characters sleep with men who then like disappear the next episode? But that's what happens in life, or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Look, the I I think the the 
I think that part of the reason why people are so mad about the show is not because of certain events or quote unquote Indians. It's mm-hmm. because of the politics of how those things are written. Like mm-hmm. take the big one, Daenerys. Yeah becoming the villain yeah. I, mm-hmm. I actually think that if that was done right that's actually really cool because uh she like in her final like kind of i'm a dictator speech it's it's talking about like liberating the world and it seems to be actually kind of a critique of the white savior narrative of like the person who the audience has been cheering for uh you realize oh wait like she's she's just using like her savior status to you know Further, There's like, a new king. Con- same as the old king. Yeah, brother yeah. Cocker, at, like, at, and Kit Harrington, like, uh, has said in an interview that you know the audience has become complicit with the things Daenerys has done because Daenerys is who we've been rooting for. But that's like that's like kind of undermined by like uh, uh, someone really smart, and I'll have a link for the show notes. Marion Quincy, who works at uh, Duke, wrote about disability and Game yes. of Thrones and how the final season betrays a lot of the really like good representations um, yes. of disability in the past. Yes. Like, Daenerys mm-hmm. like suddenly becomes mad and it's attributed to biology and her family name, which is like Daenerys. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, which, like, like the whole show slash books have been about is everyone the same as like their family. And then like, secondly, there's a gender dynamic here for one, like all women are crazy wearing red or whatever with the whole Cersei Daenerys <laughs> paralleling Two, she like, like they constantly write scenes where she's like, John, I love you. And he's like, no, we can't. I reject you. And then she like goes mad, quote, quote, mad. Cause you know, women can't handle emotions or whatever. Um, <laughs> and yeah. hysterical. And it's, it's just bad. Like there, there are ways to write women as villains that are really compelling, but, but these writers are not up for it because they don't understand. Yeah. I agree completely, Hannah. I mean, um, <laughs> The whole time. See, this is, this is, I think, what season eight is. It's not that I didn't like it on the whole. I still think Game of Thrones is the best piece of television that's ever been made, but I'm so disappointed. He's not seen Riverdale. No, I, <laughs> I have not. I have not seen it. It's true that I haven't no. seen Riverdale. But I, but I'm so disappointed because of all these missed opportunities, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and these, and these conclusions that felt completely unearned, right? And like Bran getting on the game of uh, getting on the uh, Bran becoming the king of the six kingdoms and Sansa just be like, yeah, so we're not going to be part of this anymore. Right. Which in any other <laughs> yeah. circumstance would have incited a civil war. But Bran's like, yeah, cool. You know, right. and, um, but also that makes no sense. It makes no sense. Because he's like he's like the living son of Ned Stark. Also, right. like he's actually the Lord if, of Winterfell. Yeah. Yeah. If he if he like. If he becomes king and Sansa's like, no, bye, then like all the, why can't all the other kingdoms, especially specific ones who wanted independence, like the Iron Islands, be like, okay, bye. Mm. Um, or like, also, like, I, I, I said this uh, before the show, I think they basically wrote that so Sansa could have her triumphant moment because Queen of the North is like the last line of dialogue actually spoken in the show Ooh, mm-hmm. uh, because they put her through so much crap. Yeah, good eye. Yeah, she's clearly their favorite character. Yeah, and again, I've not read the books, but I know what they're about, and I know that she's not the same character no, in the books. Her story she's, arc is radically different, right? She is their creation, and you know, they, I think the book ends with Sansa getting forcibly married to uh, what's his name, uh, the the torturer, Bolton. Bolton, yeah. But, yeah, but it's been um, long enough since I read the last book to. Wait, I, 
I thought that that storyline was given to another female character, it and is. she's yeah, like like like, and she doesn't marry him at all in the books. Is that yeah? Yeah, well, there, there's the fake, there's the fake Sansa who is brought. Right, she marries, in. he marries the fake Sansa, Jane. What's her name? Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. But while we're talking about about women and disappointment, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Cersei, right? So Cersei, who has so far been the smartest person in the story, she's always got an ace up her sleeve. She always has some way of of sort of you know figuring out. Uh, some way, some you know, last minute thing, and I'm sitting here watching her standing in the balcony, watching the destruction of King's Landing, um, and I'm going like, okay, like, where's your little secret thing? You know, like she's gonna pull something out. There's gonna be an army of Robert Strong's, you know, an army of of the undead that they've made or something, and it's nothing. And she's just like, oh, I guess I totally miscalculated. Well, it was the last episode, you see. Yeah. <laughs> also, like. Her death was so anticlimactic. Like, like, like she, it, it just. Yeah. It, I, I, I think that overall, like comparatively, it was a nice death because Jamie completely destroyed his storyline and everything else to come back to her, even though that made no sense. And I feel like narratively would not make sense with like how George R. R. Martin seems to have like written his character in the books. Because while I've not read them, I know all about them. Because Twitter, um, <laughs> you know. George R. R. Martin, I remember when somebody, well, we were reading the books before the TV show ever came out, and somebody was complaining to me that the books uh, didn't have a strong love story, you know, that there wasn't a, a real loving uh, relationship that wasn't incestuous, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and I said, oh, no, there's a huge love story in this, and it's between George R. R. Martin and food, because... <laughs> He will, right, Wayne? He will lovingly describe oh, every dinner, ages, ages and ages. ages. And, and, oh, and the chicken that was marinated in Dornish spices Indeed. with, you know, and you're and just like, pie. oh, eel pie and, you know, a turkey <laughs> stuffed inside a dragon, you know. That's, and it just, <laughs> and I've read his other book. Tur Dragon. Tur Dragon. Um, that's what actually Turgarian means, but. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the the whole series is super gentle on the subject of incest, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, also incest, you know. And at the at some yeah, okay, well, the Targaryens are all crazy. Although Jon Snow is also Targaryen, and we don't see him going crazy, right? Because he's not an inbred Targaryen. I guess. That, 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 just, Lord, um, that, that good Northern blood, <laughs> you know, took care of that. I mean, yeah, he did and, stab a person. He's not crazy, but he knows nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he did stab his. He did stab his. Someone who he owed tremendous allegiance to, both politically and personally. He did do that. He's nuts. I just, it just doesn't make sense. So I don't want to go too far into just analyzing, because everybody else has been analyzing it to death. I will say my biggest problem with it is I just, I thought a lot of stuff was rushed. And the more the season went on, the more it felt rushed. I wrote a blog on the Aria Gets Late episode, which I loved. And that's where, that's where I really saw people start turn on the show. Um, and I, they had all season. Frankly, they people have been yeah. turning on the show slowly yeah. ever since they went off book. Now, it's not their fault they went off book. When they signed up for this show, they were told the books would be done by the time they caught up. That did not happen. So, you know, you do what you do. We're not that good writers. But see, I don't know that that's true. I'm not saying I don't mean comparatively to Martin. Uh, I mean, 
like going back to where, okay, Jon Snow's dead. Now we've got to bring him back, which everybody knows. But in the books, if you, in the books, Jon Snow's still dead. They haven't, that's the last thing Martin wrote. Jon Snow gets stabbed and he's been, I'll get to it. Really, I'll get to it. So I think that, you know, they went from doing an adaptation to writing a TV show. And the TV show is fine. I don't mean that it's the best show ever. It's no Riverdale, what, but dude. it's not. <laughs> but it's, no, it's, it's fine. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good after that. I thought stuff made sense. But people have been turning on it more and more because what people signed up for was they signed up to see they, they didn't. What's what are their names? Dinsey. Um, the the produ- showrunners are are um, Weiss and. Um, yeah, <laughs> okay, something like that. But they didn't. So the, no their one names signed are up already to, lost to history, right? But no one signed up to be their show to, to see their show. People signed up because people wanted to see Martin's dreams brought to life. It's the same problem as the Star Wars problem. People get upset at both Abrams and Ryan Johnson because this is not my Star Wars. Forgetting that they got upset with George Lucas during the prequel series, <laughs> but, yeah, like, but also but they, like. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of the reason people have like turned on the show and actually people have always uh, critiqued the show for things like this since the very first episode, but the showrunners and like other people involved in like writing and directing the show have like added things from the books that are like definitely not there that they're in the world. Like they've added rape scenes where they're not rape scenes and the Mm -hmm. way they handle those and the way they talk about them in interviews show, there's just a distinct lack of like thought. Yeah, They're making, I mean, people get upset anytime they, and uh, and I'm not saying I'm not even defending that. I'm saying they, they put their spin on it. And why do you make an adaptation adaptation theory? talks about you know i'm adapting something because i want to do my story you don't need somebody to bring exactly your vision to life you have your vision this is they are trying to share theirs while also trying to do the largely impossible task of giving the people something that they want and then at the same time the people you know what the people want ran out of source material so then they had to they had to invent it as they went along and that's that's hard um and the reason yeah. the reason i pointed out when it, where it really came up to me is like i said three four weeks uh before the end when aria has sex and i just watched the internet vilely turn on 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 them because oh my god she should not be allowed to you know have sex this is it's like watching my little sister fuck and, I'm, and i was like no it no it's not she's not your little sister your little sister is allowed to have sex because she's right. a person <laughs> and, and and she's a fictional and, character. And I felt like it, I felt like that was earned. She's the most badass assassin in the entire world. Yeah. She can yeah. do what she wants. Yeah, but right. you know, the, the other like the other side to this, and like I mean, this is like what happens when something becomes so popular, right? Is that like that those like those complaints are gross and like you like you know refuted those and like other people have refuted those mm-hmm. but at the same time you know Arya and like Brienne to like a I think maybe smaller degree were kind of like asexual or like female characters that didn't like need to like have yeah. a relationship with a man and so therefore yeah, and, I, and I think those are I think those are different I don't think they were asexual yeah. at all I think they yeah. were independent or yes oh, but Arya we don't know and like I, I mean well, like the way yeah, like we like don't know, no. and so since especially like with Arya, because I I always thought there was something going on with Jamie and Bria, but that's that's not important. Oh, yeah, they're always uh, like Arya in particular. Like there's so little, there's so little 
like asexual representation on television, I think mm-hmm. that people were like, well, why did you need to do this? Like, why, why did this like play uh, a role in her storyline on the, on the flip side? It was probably the most consensual and empowering female sex scene we've ever got on Game of Thrones. Absolutely. Probably. True. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know. I mean, other than the incest ones. Right. It was, I would say it was the least fucked up sex scene in this entire eight season run. Right. Yeah. I understand Hannah's point. Yes. There is not a lot of asexual representation on television and or anywhere. That, sure. In literature, I should say, but like people can read whatever they want into anything, but I don't think it was there. I never read her that way. I understand why people who had been reading her that way, who maybe are asexual might want that representation. Other people, they're not complaining because of the lack of representation. They're complaining because a girl that they want to believe is a 14 year old killing machine because that's cool, had the audacity to fuck somebody. That's why that's why they're complaining. I I agree with that. The people mostly complaining are not 14 year old girls who are asexual and just are not a hero. It's a bunch of 50 year old men complaining that no, she shouldn't be doing that because she should be above having carnal needs and fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's my that's my problem with it. This is like the Star Wars yeah. problem where like suddenly uh there's you know women who have the audacity to be heroes and kill night kings mm-hmm. and be Jedi and that is bad. But heaven forbid she should be horny. <laughs> that, that's what it came down to. <laughs> yeah. No, but but heaven forbid they should be heroes too. It's like, oh, you're you're making us mm-hmm. accept that a you know that Rose from Star Wars is a hero when she's clearly a woman yeah. and clearly not a white person. <laughs> and now what? A black stormtrooper? I'll kill you all. But but honestly yes. though, like yes, when I think we uh, here the uh, the four of us can push those aside and say, uh, you know, um, but what I, what I am disappointed about, I mean, I am totally disappointed about, uh, many of the, the way that women are portrayed, the way that I think the Dothraki, there was a critique going around that Dothraki wound up looking like, um, Native Americans from a crappy Western, you know, from the fifties. And I think that's true as well, you know? And the Battle um, of Winterfell made it look like all of them were dead. Right. Yeah. Of course, I'm glared not true, but. Right. In the first 10 there seconds. Still, there were still thousands and then there were like about 40. Uh, at the at the um, at the Nazi uh, the the um, Targaryen Nuremberg rally, um, <laughs> and I agree. I totally agree with what Hannah says about you know Daenerys suddenly going crazy. That's like it's a disappointment, right? Because when we found out why Hodor says Hodor, right? That the whole time since the first episode he's been saying Hodor, and then we found out why, and it was mm-hmm. this quantum entanglement time travel thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, I am dealing with the greatest storyteller of our generation. Right, that he set this not, up, and that's not Martin, though. I mean, it is, but it's but no, they, I'm certain. Well, I, th- I'm, I believe that's Martin. They were off book mm-hmm. by then. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, I'm sure he gets yeah. But yeah, but yeah, that, it's that not like they made up why he was called Hodor. Mm-hmm. That's right, but but I mean, but they can't have come up with that, right? I mean, yeah, I believe that's in the, going to be in the book. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So so when I so when I was looking at that, I was thinking, okay, here is a guy who has conceived of the entire story already. He may not know the mm-hmm. individual details, but he knows the main plot. And so mm-hmm. Andrew and I, in our article, we argued that the plot, because of specifically because of Hodor, because of the Hodor arc, um, is written in what we would call a classical tragic arc, right? In mm-hmm. which the very first thing that happens is the determinant of the very last thing that happens. Absolutely. Okay. In which every at the end of the story, every thing that happened turns out it's to a domino. Be, exactly, it's a domino, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, I always thought that. 
you know, Jamie had decided to push Bran out the window. It was the last thing that happened in the first episode, which is a perfect place for an inciting incident, as we would call it in drama, right? He pushes Bran out the window. He says the things we do for love. So mm-hmm. to me, the least disappointing character arc for Jamie, for instance, would be that he eventually has to make a decision in which he, he chooses the greater good over his love for Cersei. Right? Mm-hmm. That would have been Of course, been he could arc. also ditch Cersei for someone better. Also, t- also true. But I still thought that he was yeah, at when he left Brienne, that he wasn't leaving her because he was in love with his sister. He was leaving her because he needed to go yeah. to King's Landing to kill his sister. And that would have been yeah, a much more satisfying right. ending. Right. And then he would yeah, have gone back man. to the north, married Brienne and raised a bunch of children. Uh, but I do have to say, as upset as I am about the whole thing, the greatest memes to come from the finale is Brienne writing in the book oh, about God, Jamie. I love that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he went back to his whorebag sister. <laughs> also, I really appreciated that John got to pet his puppy. <laughs> I know. I was like, why didn't he get to pet his puppy before? And a friend of mine who was watching with me, Elizabeth Swenson, she said, Do you know how much more expensive it would be if he got to pet his puppy? Yes. <laughs> I just say that for a dragon burning down yes. a city. 18 billion um, animators feverishly trying to get that puppy scene in. It's like, we're, we're only going to do it once more. So, you know, make it count. I mean, like, Game of Thrones, like, I, I guess will always just be, I mean, no matter how they ended it, it was always going to be controversial because yeah. you can't satisfy everyone. So many people watched. It's so complicated. It's, look, it's, it's not a show for shippers. It's where ships go to sink, I guess, not die uh, or burn. It's your own great joy about that. Uh, it's yeah, also like that whole thing where your own stabs Jamie and then Jamie lives to be crushed. Just, oh my God. Anyway, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just, you know, and also like, this is such a, um, ambitious tv show that like you know developed for like and was made for like so many years that it's so hard to keep actors on contract doing this kind of show Mm -hmm. and just you know the whole just the whole thing like it was it was never gonna be a masterpiece like what lost was and now our viewers are you know screaming uh (laughs) <laughs> let's, let, let's talk. Let's talk about that thing. We, right. we, we I want to segue there. Yeah, moving on. Yeah, that's a good place to move well, on. Actually, to wait. Idea we, of, before, of, before we before we quarantine that, can I? I just I want to respond to something Hannah just said really quickly. Yeah. So you know, for me, it's like the the two most interesting characters in this story, bar none, are Daenerys and Tyrion. I, for me, okay, right. They are the most interesting characters. They're the ones that I identify with the most, the ones that I am the most invested in, the ones I want to see succeed the most, right? Mm-hmm. And they both had such disappointing endings, right? Uh, Hannah's point about, you know, Daenerys suddenly going mad for no reason and becoming this emotional woman who needs to be taken down by a group of men is, is, is really disappointing. But nothing disappointed me more in the whole series than Tyrion's speech to the council, right? In which he, he says that he's gone through this whole journey, right? Like he, he, you know, he was this rich kid who was terribly abused, who discovered that he was incredibly smart. And then he became the hand of the king. And then he saved the world at the battle of Blackwater Bay. But his father relegated him to basically being a prisoner. And then he killed his father. And then he went on all this huge journey and he almost got uh, grayscale, but he didn't. And then maybe he was a Targaryen because the dragons didn't need him. And then so on and so on and so on. And he finally comes to the end of this. And his big takeaway is oligarchy is marginally better than mine. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think his real takeaway was stories. <laughs> even worse. As Matthew, as Matthew Resnick, uh, um, a professor um, of lit on Twitter said, hello, Benedict Anderson. 
Uh, for those of you who are listening who don't know who Benedict Anderson is, he uh, made an argument that nations are imagined communities and people imagine themselves together through things like literature and newspapers and stories and, stories yeah. and cultural everyday moments. Mm-hmm. I want to say that, that whole speech, in some ways, I agree with what he said, that idea that story is what unites us and, and it, it's what guides lots of our behaviors and, and, and cultural things. Boy, was that really heavy handed in the moment. It was unearned. It was unearned. It was unearned. It felt too metatextual. It's like, ooh, let me explain the let me explain the metaphor we've been doing here for the last eight seasons. Mm-hmm. Very exposition-y. And, and the moral to the yeah. story is. Right, so you right. pick, like. In the TV show, you pick Brand's story over like all the women. Well, that was yeah. the least earned part for me. And because, yes, I get the metaphor they're trying to make. And again, I've not read the books, but when you say, okay, and story is important, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes on and he, and he basically tells the story of Bran, which fine, maybe Tyrion knows the story. No one else does, nor yeah. will anybody else give a fuck. He's like, and he, right. you know, this crippled boy, this this broken boy, and he becomes the Three Eyed Raven. And at this point, I, I, knows yeah, what that is. yeah, what the hell <laughs> at is this that? Point, I want um, Yara. I say, what the fuck is a Three Eyed Raven? She doesn't yeah, know. Seriously. She what doesn't care. <laughs> and and like like that that entire story, it's like that's not an interesting story to anybody who has not been watching it or reading it for the last eight years. So mm. so like when when they tell that story, <laughs> and his story is much more interesting in the book than we ever saw on the show. Right. So Rude is like he's going to warg into the dragon, which would be a great payoff. But yeah. I saw I saw a wonderful I saw a wonderful meme yeah. that said um, that one kid who doesn't do anything for the group project but still gets an A and then there's a picture of Brand smiling for the first time. So I get why that's unearned and I I get why it might be a little better in the book. It it feels a little heavy handed. What becomes weird and this is what you, you know, Wayne, I think you said, you know, getting the actors together. So, and this is where I want to do our segue a little bit. This turned into a petition of (laughs) this point, like a million people saying, Hey, Let's um let's start this petition to make them remake the last season. Okay, dear internet, <laughs> I just, I just, I just, I just let, me, let me address the the internet as a whole right now. Stop dear being internet. fucking stupid. Yes, dear internet, stop right. being fucking stupid. This is not what petitions are for. I, I made the joke on our blog www.voxpopcast.com. I beat Hannah to the plug this week. I mean, it's not even a joke. A friend of mine works at Change.org, and I think Change.org is actually a really good thing. It's done a lot of positives for the world, and it's also destroying the world because people <laughs> seem to think that Change.org's purpose is to complain about what they didn't like in a TV show or a movie. They want, you know, please let's remake um, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah, let's re- let's remake Star Wars The Last Jedi because I didn't like it. And then all your loser boyfriends get on and say, yeah, I didn't like it either. Let's let's remake it. At this point, at the point that we are recording, 1.5 million people have signed this stupid petition for something that is never going to happen. People have contracts. They've moved on to other lives. And you know what? It's fine. The millions of dollars that it would cost to make this show. You didn't like it. Okay. Pretend something else happened. Just read fiction. Right. What what percentage of that one, five million people didn't vote this way? Right. Right. On on things that matter. matter. So, so, so seriously, fuck you. Get over yourselves. That said, Um, I have to say, Mav, if you, if you think that, I mean, you're, you're, 
you know, you said, dear internet, stop being so fucking stupid. I don't think you know what the internet is for. No, I do know what the internet's for. And and I want to be in charge because I'm going to fix it. So here's what can we start a petition to make that happen? No, in charge of the internet? Yes. No, 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 no. Can I mean, stop being stupid? A petition. Let's make the internet less stupid. Oh, that's a great stupid thing. That's a great idea that would be perfectly in keeping with the internet. Hannah, Hannah seems to be violently against Chris running the internet. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm against him running this podcast. <laughs> Someone's running this podcast? Uh, so, some, somebody's going to start a petition. Um, <laughs> If someone else wants to edit, you're welcome to. <laughs> Thank you for all your hard work. Man. You're welcome. Um, but, yeah. anyway, but, anyway, but anyway, the point is, I understand that people are disappointed. You don't even need our permission to be disappointed. You can be disappointed just because like Thank people you. who uh, who are disappointed because I don't want to see women and, and colored people um, in my in my show. It should all be about white men just doing things. And and, you know, women should show up when we want to fuck somebody and and. I don't know, black people when we want biscuits or something. Fine. If that's what you want, if you're racist <laughs> and you want that, yes, biscuits. You know, biscuits. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, a good slave job is to bring, is to bring massa the biscuit. Yeah. Everybody knows that. If that's who you are, if that's, if that's the only kind of story that you enjoy, you know what? Fine. But stop Fuck being off. stupid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not listening to my, to, to, to my show. You're not listening to, you know, I mean, like I'm a black guy. Hannah's a, a woman. You're not listening to us. <laughs> you know? You're a black guy and Hannah's a woman. Yeah, I know. You, you see, now oh, Mike's going to leave I, the show. But, but I'm leaving anyway, the show. It, that's, that's fine. If you, if that's what you want to, and I get that they're not going to please us because we might have complicated things that we want to see happen on the show. Things aren't going to be, aren't going to be like that. But like when you're, when you're petitioning somebody, when you're making a big deal, when you're whining because things didn't turn out the way that I want, whine, critique, fine. But when you're trying to actively make somebody change it, it's not going to make the old version go away. You know, as Hannah said, you've got fanfic, write your own fanfic, do whatever, whatever you want. But the fact that too much work, Right. The fact that there's a petition and you're like, we remake this to be the way that I want. And 1.5 million idiots signed it for something that's pointless and impossible. I want to say, oh, my God, what are you doing with your lives? And I wanted to say that until, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they did that with Sonic the Hedgehog. And now that has worked. (laughs) And it really bothers me that like people have been able to change Sonic the Hedgehog by whining and complaining. And there's like, oh, my God, you're right. So now we're going to redo this movie. I mean, the well, problem, they're redoing a character design, not a whole movie. Uh, it's unclear. They just shelved it till 2020. So sorry to Katya, yeah. who has it on her. On her. They, they, they've, I mean, they, uh, they've pushed it back for um, as of this week. They have pushed it back uh, several months because they are for extensive changes due to Internet complaints for something they have not even seen yet. So look, we are we are living in a society right now. We're living in a society right now. Uh, I, I know this will come as a shock to all of you that it's a capitalist society. And We're it's true. Society? <laughs> I know it will come as a shock to you that it's a society. And uh, we, uh, the driver of artistic creation in this society that we live in is money. It's always money, but the money comes from the public right? and uh, not from the government and not from princes, you know, or, you know, visionaries who want, and it's, you know, artists have always had to kowtow to whoever can produce the money. Sure. But they're not producing money. They're whining on the internet. These are people who watch Game of Thrones anyway. So you're whining yeah. because you're unhappy, but you know what? You paid your money or you didn't. You stole your friend's 
HBO Now account. I don't care, but it's not actually creating more money. You're just whining. Yeah, my feeling is you want to create new Game of Thrones, then why don't you go through the process, put together a proposal to HBO, (laughs) work very, very, very hard on it. Oh, and also, you know, go back to school and learn how to write dramatic stories and learn how to be a camera. Write a novel or two. Yeah, write a couple of novels, work your way up, and then you can do it the way you want to do it. You know, write your own version of it, right? But, yeah. but until then, <laughs> until then, I do feel like, you know, I am dis- I'm disappointed with Game of Thrones. I'm disappointed that they didn't make the choices that I wanted them to make. Right. Right. Just like everybody. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I, I do feel like the choices that I had wanted them to make, I don't have anything to do with, you know, me being Damn. upset because people like me. <laughs> yeah. It just has to do with, with the question of, of, of the techniques of the most powerful storytelling that you can do. And, you know, we, we, we talked on a previous episode about that fan ownership of things. You know, you know we, we want, you, this is mine. This is my Game of Thrones. Right. They didn't do it the way I wanted them to. Right. And, you, and that's not a mistake not that I make, right? Yeah. That's not a mistake that. Yeah. my criticism yeah. that I'm making, right? I'm just thinking, and also what I also know because of this concept of vast narratives, like, like you just said, is that this is just one version of this thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. how many, you know, they, they made Lord of the Rings as a movie twice. Uh, the first time was, you know, Ralph Bakshi with this terrifying, um, uh, John Hurt running around, uh, as a cartoon, you know, and, um, the, the second Lord of the Rings doesn't erase the first one and right. neither of them erased the books. Right. And I can go back and visit these things as much as I want. I mean, what a, what a, what a joy, what a pleasure to live in a culture in which that can happen. And I can do that. Right. I can watch Game of Thrones as many times as I want. And people can enjoy this any variety of of ways. Yes. Yeah. I I just wanted to say that we said we weren't going to talk about Game of Thrones. And now we're talking to, we're talking about Game of Thrones a lot, but like, I, I think that like we've, uh, you know, kind of address like a lot of like the reasons why people don't like endings in our analysis. Like, uh, I am the typical, I am very mad that my favorite characters did not get the ending that I wanted. And I am very upset, but like, but, and, but also like part of that is because it didn't make sense narratively what they've done. So like, uh, also like along with the, doesn't make sense narratively there's the question of like, what was this show's like kind of genre or like, you know, feeling And Game of Thrones was known for, like, you know, its political intrigue and sometimes spending more episodes than necessary on really slow moving plots to show you, like, exactly how every little move went down. And then suddenly, you know, in like season seven and eight, everyone's teleporting everywhere or whatever. (laughs) And like, there's, there's like a lot of like things that would have made sense if they'd bothered to explain them. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, why, why did no one care suddenly that John was a Targaryen in the last episode? We don't need to talk about that. But that's the, you know, the idea. Like, the reason why some finales have been well-received, like the Big Bang Theory, which mm-hmm. is like the biggest comedy that was on network television in a long time, just ended. And everyone liked that finale. It wasn't, like, grand. Nope. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I want. Let's talk about those. What finales work and which ones don't? Well, and, 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 and kind of the, the bigger issue of just the nature of, of endings in the first place, whether it's TV or... I, you know, I, we were talking to you before the show, Matt, that whole idea of... Part of the reason we enjoy fictions is that idea of closure, which we don't get much mm-hmm. of at all in real life. So we, we participate in these fictions and we like things ending. But you know, with TV in particular, until relatively recently, there weren't endings. You know, Gilligan's still on that island, right? right. Uh, <laughs> you know, shows just came to... Shows just came to an end. We you know, they they ran until they were canceled, right. and then they were done. Uh, you know, with, there are notable exceptions like Nash or whatever. 
Well, um, hold on though. Let's, let's start with Big Bang Theory because Big Bang Theory doesn't have closure. And Hannah, like you were just saying, you liked it. I liked it as well. What did you like about it? I liked it. Well, it, it just kept with the spirit. I mean, I am not a huge fan of the Big Bang Theory because uh, some of the like writing makes me cringe and roll my eyes. But there, like you mm. know, there's the, like this kind of like humor for geeks that's not super toxic uh, all the time. That uh, you know is there and people, you know, really like a, a comfortable show where they, they watch things about people. That's kind of like them. And this show, like it did, it did, it, it did the thing that game of Thrones actually kind of did where, you know, people are continuing to live their lives, but this made sense. Uh, the characters were going on new journeys. Sheldon changed ish. There was an emotional climax, but it wasn't very big. I mean, like Friends finale, it wasn't very big. It like you know, the, they finally resolved Ross and Rachel's storyline. Uh, Monica and Chandler finally moved out of the apartment, but a lot of like the action of Friends, which I think is kind of similar to the Big Bang Theory in spirit and perhaps aging in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was moments like Joey and Chandler playing with the foosball table. Mm-hmm. Like that's what people liked about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Uh, there's no, there's another, uh, show ending that I used to enjoy and watch Jane, the Virgin. And mm-hmm. this season, they so betrayed the show by spoiler alert, bringing Michael dead, Jane's dead husband back from the dead, that there's no way that there can be a logical, happy ending right. for anyone because of how they set up. And I admit, I was very mad when Michael died. I was mad enough to quit the show. It's this only show that's ever truly broken my heart so bad that it's like an ex that I like, it comes on and I like walk across the street to get away from it. Um, <laughs> like, but you know, like it, it narratively made sense for her to move on with someone else, mm-hmm. but then you bring him back and it's like, there's no happy ending here. And it goes against the spirit of the show. And like, cause like Jane, the Virgin's a telenovela. Yes. But it was always grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And now they're spinning their wheels and ignoring like serious issues to keep that like same light tone when it just mm-hmm. doesn't work with the storyline. I guess what I'm saying is, is that shows either die, uh, short deaths and they're remembered as classics like pushing daisies or they live long enough to see themselves become villains. Mm-hmm. Look, I think, uh, what, what we're getting into here is a question about, uh, genre and genre is a term that I think people give a lot, uh, much too much weight to on the whole. Right. Um, because it, it, it tends to, um, what's the word, uh, restrict the creativity of people who are working in those genres who want to, you know, push the boundaries. Um, but when we say genre, what we really mean is expectation, right? That there are certain levels of expectation that are set up when we use a, a certain type of storytelling. So Aristotle uh, says, you know, tragedy has to look like this and it does this and the payoff is this. And it's the most sophisticated version because it has this kind of emotional outcome, right? Whereas comedy is uh, has a different structure. And because it has a different structure, it's not going to be as emotionally powerful. I think he misses the boat there because comedy is pretty damn cool for a lot of really mm-hmm. cool reasons. But yeah. One of the things that he says about comedy is that it has a cyclical structure as opposed to tragedy. In tragedy, things progress. They move from one state to another, and they are able to do this because of the, the blood sacrifice of somebody, right? That we go from a state of, uh, you know, a worse state to a better state, even if it's just slightly better, because somebody made the ultimate sacrifice. I don't know that comedy. he was right even then, though. Like, I, no. I, I, no, I, no, of I, course I, he wasn't. No, no, no. Yeah. He wasn't. Yeah. But, but I mean, your point still 
fans about yeah, and, the, and then a, yeah, in a comedy, things go back to the way that they were. They start in a state of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Something happens that messes up that equilibrium, and then the whole idea is to return to equilibrium. Right. So, I mean, like Todorov makes like a similar claim with like mystery exactly. fiction, like genre has these different steps, these different types of plots, and when you deviate from that plot, you're making something kind of new. Uh, which, like, I I admit, like, yeah, like, like I think the Big Bang Theory kind of succeeds. Like, there, there is definitely progress in that comedy, uh, but it succeeds because it basically fulfills audience expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to that. And I I mean, Wayne, you mentioned briefly the finale to MASH, which, um, okay, spoilers for MASH, a show that's been off the air for 30 years. Um, the, the Korean War ended. The Korean, well, and they go home. No, well, no, it's not just the Korean War ends. Because yeah, Korean War lasts far shorter than the t- than the television show mash yeah. but the, yeah. but the Cor- but the yeah but the korean oh, war thanks ends. a lot thanks yeah. for spoiling that jesus well no but, 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 but moreover here's, like here's the point though mash ends because they kill a baby like there is uh i mean to, to aristotle's point there's a point where the final episode of mash has an absolutely poignant sad horrible moment in it that you can't come back from and that's sort of the you know it, like it's almost as though like this this fun quirky show about how hilarious it is to be ca- trapped in a war zone which is which shouldn't have worked but did suddenly gets to this point where and then this real horrific thing happens this choice happens where basically there's a crying baby and so is not to be discovered and have everybody else get everybody else killed they can't be they can't quiet the baby so they kill it and it's sad and it's awful. And in the context of that moment, you sort of get why that choice was made because otherwise everybody was going to die. And yet it's still awful. And the show can't be funny anymore. Right. That's and a, that's why it's, and, and that's why it's a good finale though. Right. And I mean, it's a great, yeah, it's a great a finale. Yeah. That, yeah. There's a reason that Bart Simpson has been 10 years old for 30 years. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and then every once in a while we can have these fantasies where he grows up or, you know, he gets old and that's always, that's fun. Right. But, mm-hmm. but, um, but when you are it's trying to end a show, a yeah, I mean, when I think about my two favorite uh, television events um, prior to Game of Thrones were The Sopranos and Deadwood. Um, mm-hmm. And the and the Deadwood ending, it was like they really thought they were going to go further. And then suddenly, you know, yeah. some genius right. at HBO said, eh, let's cancel them and put on taxi cab confessions instead. Or, you know, and, and whatever it was, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but they were like, it doesn't end. Yeah, yeah Deadwood just runs on a show so, like like things used yeah. to. But they, but, you know, but I thought that like Ian McShane in particular is working so hard at that moment to create this thing where it has a sense of wrapping it up and, and the, uh, uh, there was a, an intruder to the town that, that left, but he didn't leave because he was chased out. He left because he got bored and he left. Right. And then, so then, and Ian McShane is like, everything's back to normal. Hooray. And then that's it. Uh, and I thought that was like, that was the best they could do. And now actually I'm very excited that they're going to do circumstances. Yeah. They're going to follow up on that now with the same cast. Um, but yeah, a chance of ending. Right. But with David chase in, um, Sopranos, people were on the internet saying, Oh, what do you think is going to happen? You know, Oh, I think Mm -hmm. this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen. And people put forth all of these really satisfying endings, you know, for how it could wrap up. And I remember David Chase actually starting to say things like, this is not your show. This is Mm -hmm. my show. And we're going to end it my way. I'm the one who's in charge here. Right. And so he created an ending that satisfied nobody. Not Not true. I loved it. 
I loved it. I will defend the Sopranos ending to death. I thought it was brilliant. I loved oh. I loved the ambiguity of, of the Sopranos end, ending. And this is going to be I mean, we'll segue into um, like I know Hannah, for instance, loves the way Lost end, ends, even though no one else does. I oh, love the way I may very well be the only person in the world who thinks Sopranos end it perfectly. And I will you die are. on that hill. Okay. Okay. That hill, and I that's am, fine. And I will and die here. Can... It is okay. right. It is absolutely right. <laughs> but I'm starting to understand why Hannah thinks that you shouldn't be in charge of this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, if you want to talk about closure, Lost is the show that gives you ultimate closure. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Wayne was talking about how he loves Six Feet Under. Um, yeah, which I do want to talk uh, about, but finish with Lost, but. Yeah. Uh, as much closure as the six feet under finale might give you law or, or parks and rec or something like that, where you see like future moments in people's lives, uh, lost doesn't let death stop them. It, it's about the characters and how important they were to each other. And those moments of closure, they couldn't get in life. Mm-hmm. They get in death. If you watch the finale, of course, I, uh, and I, I think that like when I talk about things like betraying the show, like I didn't expect the parallel world to be an actual sort of afterlife purgatory thing. Uh, a lot of people didn't. Uh, a lot of people were disappointed by like some of the mysteries not being wrapped up. But like from day one, the show was always about the characters. And if you, yeah, yeah. If you listen, the, the mysteries, the, the mysteries were MacGuffin yeah. and ultimately didn't matter. Uh, and if you, if you listen to our spoilers episode where we talk a lot about lost, uh, we talk about JJ Abrams concept of the mystery box and the idea of the mystery box isn't just like mysteries in the sense of weird stuff is going on and we need to figure it out. It's mysteries in the sense of people are mysteries and you learn more about them and each like flashback or flash forward like tells you more about these people and makes you come to love people who are different from you and you might not expect to love because they've done horrible things. But or, you know, have weird tattoos that uh, <laughs> get explained in really bad episodes. Um, right. but, you know, like Lost Finale really, really worked uh, for me because it wrapped up and reunited all these important characters and gave us that sense of emotional and like philosophical closure. Of course, other people were mad because they didn't get all the answers to the mysteries. Um, What's up with the frozen donkey wheel? Um, I mean, they did answer that sort of in the yeah, season yeah. six. Uh, not to not to be that person, but you know, I think I think that like <laughs> there's a lot of complicated reasons why finales do or don't work, and and a lot of it is down to personal preference and not necessarily necessarily quality or. You know, I actually I want to uh, interrogate that Hannah a little deeper because uh, Slavoj Zizek, you know who? Oh Lord, uh, I don't wow. know if you know him. <laughs> yes, uh, Jesus. He's he's unique among. Um, I, I heard him describe this way once that he's unique among philosophers, modern philosophers, in that he actually is a raccoon who lived in a university library dumpster until a witch turned him into a human. And um, uh, but he he had when he was talking about the Matrix, right? He wrote an essay called uh, "The Two Sides of Perversions," which actually turned out to be a really popular essay for him, and they made it into a. Uh, 
YouTube video that, that went out in which he talks about the, the interesting question, and I'll paraphrase him for this conversation, but the interesting question is not why or why not a particular ending or a particular storyline doesn't or does satisfy us. The question is why we put so much emphasis on it, so much value on it. And I think this is what Chris was, was talking about earlier, like why 1.5 million internet fools are going to sign a petition, uh, you know, which has the same equivalent as like signing a petition to have the U.S. build a Death Star. Right. Um, <laughs> it would help. Uh, right? that could, that could, we have a space force now, so, you know, yeah. whatever. The real question that I think or that Zizek would ask, which I think is worth asking, is why do we get so caught up in this to the point where we are this mad that we will, you know, that we will fight and die on a hill necessarily, you know, that, that, that Mav is here willing to risk the, the ridicule of the entire world right now by let me jump in then because I actually have an answer for that. Here's why the reason I like Sopranos ending. Um, I have a very specific reason. I, I've thought about, I've had years to think about this and why it worked for me. Oh God, that is, was exactly the opposite of my question. Well, no, 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 because I'm getting right, it. It's, 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 no, for exactly, for exactly that thing. Because I don't like. It's not the end point like why does the end point matter it doesn't in sopranos that's the entire point if you actually rewind and ignore those last five ten minutes of sopranos right like you have an ending to the story of the day just like you would on any other sopranos episode and what that ending of sopranos means is it's sort of like big bang theory which ends with you know and their lives went on in you know some sort of way where some things were different some things were the same tony's life goes on and after what is it six seasons seven seasons it's hard to remember with the stupid gap and everything but tony's life is never going to be okay did he get killed there i don't know did he survive i don't know but if he survived Every second of every day of the rest of Tony's life is ambiguity of what's going to happen next. That's that okay, world. Then Matt, if that's the case, mm-hmm. then I mean, the very first scene of the very first show is mm-hmm. him going to a therapist. Yes. Right? Didn't work. Why? Because, it because, did, because he wants right, out. Of, he wants out. To be, he's trying to be a better person. Yep. Right. And Doesn't matter. He's not a better person. Years, yep. After 10 years, he fails. Yep. So he so fails. The message is. So the message is what? Don't try to the do message is, better than, you know. Well, the message is, ever. I mean, he tried, he tried to be a better person, but then not really try. Tony's weird, right? The message is in that world. I mean, it's not, it's not a classic. Like, I don't think you're looking at a Kimbellian arc there. I don't think you're looking at a, at a, at a, at a Plato or I'm sorry, Aristotle, Plato. But then my, my question is, why did I put so much energy into this? Why, you know, if I, if I wanted to see, people try to quit doing something horrible and fail, mm-hmm. you know, I'll just go to Thanksgiving at my family's house, you know, sure. and it's oh like, my God. you know, the, the question art ought to be okay. now here I'm getting into a value judgment, right. Mm-hmm. But, but let me just say that it's a value judgment based on, um, you know, I've written several books on the sure. subject, right. <laughs> and, and, um, and they've been published. Yep. So I don't know if that makes me an expert, but, but I do feel like I, I, I can say Having critiqued this in my own head a lot, mm-hmm. that the that the that the best use of art is to make people more compassionate and more open to one another, and to give people paths towards being better. 
right? That's, and that's certainly, that, yeah, you're certainly not alone in making that critical argument. And I, and my counter would be that sometimes art is about examining the failures. It's not always aspirational. I should explain for the listeners, we're making a weird critical point here of what Mike and I are disagreeing on is not, this is not an uncommon disagreement in academia, right? What is yeah. the purpose of art is sort of, you know, it's something that we cannot quite nail down on. And I think that, I think that in the grand scheme of things in the modern era of television, where we work towards finales, we are mostly working towards Mike's way and the Sopranos doesn't. And to me, well, like, I don't think Mike's way. Uh, we're, we're, we're working towards an oh, ending. my way, my yeah, way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're working towards Mike's way, like M-I-C space S-W-A-Y. And I'm oh, like, no, oh, no, this no, is sorry. a cool term for marketing strategies. <laughs> no. You know, you got to get the Mike's way in there. <laughs> no, but we're, yeah, we're working towards what you want. We're working towards a finale that sort of teaches us what have, what have we learned from this? That, that, that is sort of the, you know, when we're looking at a, at a serialized television that has a conclusion, it has a Conclusion. That's what we want. And Sopranos. Sopranos is in a, in a weird time. Again, I will point everybody to link in the show notes. One of my favorite books, "The Revolution Was Televised" by Alan Sepinwall. But Sopranos is in a weird time where it's sort of the beginning of this new golden age of television. And I don't think it ends the way people want it to be. I, I don't think that show ultimately was about because the show starts with Tony telling you, "I'm going to be a better person." This is where this is this is what this show's about. And I think ultimately the show's not about that. The show is about examining this man's failures just for the sake of doing it, which is a different kind of show. Okay. And I, and I can accept that. And I, I, I just want to say, let me just wrap this up and then I'll, I'll shut up for a while. Um, but I can say that like, because I, I, I said what I think the best purpose of art is, right. I, I don't want to say that that is the only purpose of art. Absolutely. Right? And that I am perfectly happy. I mean, some of these, uh, you know, Ant-Man, you know, what did I learn from Ant-Man? <laughs> Nothing. I didn't learn a goddamn thing from Ant-Man. Uh, um, and, uh, and, and I learned even less from Ant-Man too. Right. That, but, that hurts. I like those movies, <laughs> but, but no, but I, I liked them. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You know, it was a romp. I had a wonderful time. I spent an hour and a half not worrying about the government. Right. You know, and <laughs> it's like, Oh, look at Ant-Man. He's so funny. You know, and look at those ants playing the drums. That's great. You know, and like, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, what I'm saying is though, that, that I think for something like game of Thrones, I, I had been led to expect mm -hmm. because of Hodor, because of the way that these things shake, shook out before I had been led to expect an earned wrapping up that would be edifying and powerful. And I didn't mm -hmm. get it. And I'm disappointed, which doesn't mean that I don't think that it's worth anything. And it doesn't mean that I feel like I own it and I have a right to it ending a certain way. Right. Yeah. I just, I need to just sit down and write my own goddamn novel and, and, and have it end the way I want it to end, you know? Right, and have people bitch about what you did. Right. I think, I think like this argument that you guys had over the Sopranos and the purpose of art and even the question like, why do we put so much stock in stories and the end is, I, I think, and this is, you know, my shtick, it always leads back to like, what is the thing telling us and what kind of politics is it reinforcing? And I know there's like a swath of people out there who are like, Hannah, not everything has to be about politics. And like, I, what, I, what I mean is I don't mean like not yeah, everything about wrong. like the, the U S government or whatever, mm -hmm. what I'm talking about politics. I mean, like how do we view the world? What do we see as important? Like in Jane Austen, mm -hmm. every single novel ends with a marriage plot mm -hmm. and two characters get together. One, that happening is a political ending in itself because it's valuing a certain kind of heterosexual marriage. Mm -hmm. Two, those heterosexual marriages do different things with 
Austin's time with property and the Navy and the class dynamic and so on and so forth. Like there, there is always politics attached to shows, which I think is why people get so upset about things. For one thing, even if you don't knowingly understand why you're upset or knowingly think that you're mad because certain things didn't go your way, you're invested in a certain kind of personal politics that defines how you approach the stories and why you like certain things. I had talked about one reason why I wasn't on the Game of Thrones bandwagon in the first place is because I was just like done with watching women get raped on television for like mm-hmm. character arcs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree, Hannah. And and all art is political. That is not a universally accepted uh, maxim in the critical theory world, but I absolutely believe it, that it's not mm-hmm. possible to do art that that is any uh, value to anyone unless it is grounded in some sort of uh, discussion of society um, and or or the individual experience, which is also highly political. Right. As we know that, you know, gender may not define who we are in our deepest souls, but it defines everything else. Right. And um, and uh, and it doesn't have to, of course, it's fake, but it's it still is. It's it's fake, but it's real. Right. I often say to my students, a thing doesn't have to uh, to be real in order to exist or maybe it's the other way around thing doesn't have to exist in order to be real mm-hmm. um game of thrones doesn't exist but it has real effects on real people so i i totally agree with hannah and i challenge anyone in our listenership like all three of our listeners to um <laughs> to, to dm me five come on if you yeah if you don't like that then just dm me and when i say dm me i mean show up at my house with a copy of tomb of annihilation and tell me to roll for initiative <laughs> that that joke was a lot funnier in my head. <laughs> no, but I think I think I think we're getting to an interesting point though. So when you when you're saying and this is where I think you were really going uh before where where before I you know side dove into defending the Sopranos, you know, why do we need to nail the ending? What are we looking for? Because right now you have people saying, oh, Game of Thrones is the worst show ever. And it's like, you just watched eight seasons of this thing. And yeah, okay, fine. It's not, I mean, if I I have to think of a perfect ending, for instance, I like the ending of Breaking Bad. I thought everything was earned, loved Mm -hmm. how Breaking Bad ended. Yeah, not everything's wrapped up. Enough stuff was great. But like, nobody forced you to watch this, this show for eight years. (laughs) <laughs> that, that was yeah. not a thing. No one held a gun to your head. Actually, that is that is not entirely I, I, true. I did force my son to watch it. Oh, okay. Gundy's <laughs> yeah. well, head and yeah. everything. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, people do. They invest this amount of time in something, and then they're disappointed, and there's the whole, well, there goes the last eight years of my life. And, you know, that's obviously an exaggeration. But people say that. I, I think there people is say that. that as though yeah. you did nothing yeah. else. I'm like, if, if, if this yeah. ruined the last eight years of your life, then what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. I want to go back to I, 2009. I, I, I wanted to share this. I just wanted to read this, this online. I shared it with uh, the, the host when we were talking about this episode. Uh, the ending of Dexter, which was... Overall, a series I, I did really like, and uh, someone on on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, Jamie Lawford posted a thing. Some of you Game of Thrones nerds clearly never watched Dexter drive a boat into a <laughs> with his dead sister on board after leaving his young son in the care of a known serial killer, so he could go become a lumberjack. And it shows. <laughs> yeah, that was the last yeah. episode of Dexter. Uh, 
<laughs> and, and, and yeah, you know, I, that's a series I really like, but that ending was kind of a, a WTF here. I, I yeah. don't quite understand. I will not die happened. on that hill. <laughs> I, yeah, no. Um, I, I, one of my, one of my favorites, and I, 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 we mentioned this slightly earlier. Um, one of my favorite endings that did just to me wrap everything up in gift closure was Six Feet Under. The entire series was about, you know, it starts out with, uh, it's a funeral home, family business, the father dies, the son who wanted nothing to do with it comes home to take it over, and it's a family drama from that point on. And every episode begins with, we see someone die. And then that's the person in the funeral home, that episode that all the rest of the drama takes place while they're, they're preparing for that funeral. The last 10 minutes of Game, or Game of Thrones, last 10 minutes of Six Feet Under was for me one of the most satisfying wrap-ups to a series I ever saw. Uh, to me, it gave closure on all the character stories and was thematically consistent with everything that series did. Uh, was it highly dramatic? No. Uh, and I, I'm not saying every every show should end like this, but just in watching it, I remember at the time just feeling like, wow, that that did everything right. Um, you know, we had in the last three episodes that main character died, and we saw the family deal with that. So thematically, here's this main character that we've been growing with, and he dies, which is the theme of the show. And then. At the end of it, the youngest character, the sister, is driving away to college. She's leaving home, uh, moving on to a, a new home of her life. And while she's driving, we get essentially lost like flash forward montages of every character on the show where we see the rest of their life, including their death, including hers. So we got the closure. We saw what happened to every character on that show and thematically tied in with that whole idea of how do we deal with death? How do we deal with death in the midst of, of the life we're living? Um, and it just, I, it felt wonderful. It felt really incredibly satisfying the way very few last episodes do. Um, so anyway, two cents on six feet under. I'm sorry, Wayne. I love you to death. You're, this you is, see that in the this is the shadiest episode I think we've ever done. That's like insulting Game of Thrones put us in the mood to just be mean to each other. Insulting each other? Yeah. I don't know. Everybody's always mean to me. Yeah, well, <laughs> No. You guys haven't been mean to me at all, uh, and I think it's because I'm the guest, but yeah, I don't deserve it. Uh, I, deserve, yeah. I deserve your scorn. I don't Wait. know you well you enough should, you, you, to you, joke. You, you should have heard us for the half hour we were online before you woke up. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, so, can we all agree that How I Met Your Mother was the worst finale ever? Uh, didn't see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn. Yeah, I think Dexter's worse, but uh, okay, so no, yeah. well, but, but, but I think Dexter is worse because, uh, as a finale because it's just at least with how I met your mother and, and okay this is going to be me and Hannah for a little bit I guess because we're the only two who watch the show but, we're going to just edit all this out we're just going to get our system to edit it out <laughs> no no I think this is important because I'm going to go to the gym I'll be back with, with, but with, <laughs> with, with, with Dexter the ending comes out of nowhere it's so weird and bizarre with how I met your mother I disagree with the ending because it's it, it it sort of betrays what the show had become. But I at least understand the arc from the first episode, like the like like it. they clearly built to it. They did a bad job because the show had grown away from their original plan, which is a problem with serialized fiction. And since they'd already filmed parts of the last episode during the beginning of season two, and then they over the course of how many seasons is it, Hannah? Is it nine or ten? 
Yeah, it was nine seasons, and it was like yeah. on from 2005 to 2014. So right, it's a while. Yeah. So over the course of nine seasons, they kind of they clearly grow away from what their original show had had gone. So then they have to use that final season to painstakingly draw it back, particularly on the last episode. Like a lot of people don't like the last season of How I Met Your Mother at all. I like the last season minus the very last episode. You actually stop on the next to last episode where, you know, where Barney and Robin get married. I'm fine with it. Like, I actually I've actually thought that was a fine way to end it. You know, Ted has met the mother. Barney and Robin have gotten married, you know, and they're and it's not an ending because you don't have the everything wrapped up in a nice little bow thing. But The show had been working in the first season towards how do Ted and Robin ultimately get together. So they had to throw that together in the last episode, which totally betrays the mother's character. It totally betrays Barney. It betrays Robin. It betrays everything they built over eight seasons because they were trying to get back to this pristine idea that they'd had at the very beginning, which turns out wasn't all that great to begin with where they, where they had built until then until right before it was fine. So I find that one disappointing just because they would have been fine if they just stopped one episode before. I have nothing to say except it retroactively ruined and colored everything after that for a lot of people, I think. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I think whenever your show loses rewatchability, which I think game of Thrones did lose some rewatchability there. Uh, it, it might, I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. Everything's fine. People like what they like. <laughs> Politics are embedded I, I, in everything. I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in one more and, and this is more of a warning to anybody who wants to watch it. Uh, two season series called Carnival. Did you watch that? Mike? Are you, certainly I loved your, your it. Yeah. I loved it. Okay. I, my, my warning with Carnival is it's two seasons. If turn it off 30 seconds before the end of the last episode yeah. and you will be completely satisfied because they wrap everything up and then they throw in like this 30 second to a minute bumper setting up the next season, which never <laughs> happens and you will never sleep. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. You know, but, but while yeah. we're on the subject of, of finales, I got to say that the one that I have never gotten over my disappointment of is Sherlock Holmes. You so mean the book series? Yeah. <laughs> right? He, 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 like, he dies in this incredible battle at the Reichenbach Falls with Moriarty. It's a perfect ending. It sums everything up so well. And uh, Londoners wore black armbands because, you know, they say, that's what they say. And then, and then he, he like just comes back, you know, and uh, the adventure of the empty house, right? Or uh, we do this you know, prequel, Hound of the Baskervilles, which is fucking awesome. But then, you know, then he's like, he goes to Sussex Downs and takes up beekeeping. Incredibly, I'm still mad about that. Well, welcome, welcome to the life of, of Marvel and DC Comics fans, where nothing ever ends ever. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was thinking about a um, a very clever thing that. Um, that they do in uh, Watchmen. Uh, and Hannah had mentioned Watchmen earlier before we started uh, recording. But there's a scene where at the very end of the Watchmen graphic novel where Ozymandias turns to Dr. Manhattan and says, did I do right in the end? And Dr. Manhattan says, nothing ever ends, Adrian. Right. Which is, I thought, a kind of an interesting meta commentary because in the comics, nothing ever ends. Uh, although he thought that um, Zalan Moore, right? Yeah. Grant Morrison. Yes. Yeah. Alan Moore. He thought that the Watchmen was going to end, right? Because he had written it to end. <laughs> And now oh, Damien Lindelof cool. is uh, running that for him. But well, you know, yeah, and Doomsday yeah. Clock's been coming out yeah. for two years. In I mean, like you, sometimes and you don't a TV watch show. it. 
Well, like, like, uh, my, like, uh, we yeah. had a comment from Michael Strauss saying that Game of Thrones, um, is certainly not the worst Indian ever. And I just want to make it clear to our viewers. I don't think that I was just on the blog yeah. talking about the internet. Um, but like, cause, cause there are, you know, shows that like are like Gilligan's Island that just got canceled. <laughs> there are shows that, um, just completely went off the rails, you know, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things that can happen, but sometimes you don't want the end because like Gilmore girls, <laughs> the, 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 like the original reunion, like the original ending became incorporated to the reunion show and it was bad and no one liked it. And everyone was mad for good reason, which we don't need to get into here. But <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just best to like end on a normal episode where at least you can imagine what happened. Like, like Bing Daisy's, Bing Daisy's, yeah. Or I mean like big Bang theory had an actual mm-hmm. finale pushing Daisy's kind of like piece things like they got canceled. They piece things together to kind of give some sort of closure to viewers, not just end on like a cliffhanger or something, but you know, like heroes, if it ended in season one, everyone would have remembered it as like a gym that was gone too soon, and then like outdated's <laughs> welcome in a lot of ways. So and then it, it outdated its welcome, and then it had the audacity to come back after you know seasons. <laughs> like, oh right, that happened. Yeah, Heroes Reborn, which was or re, is it Reborn or is that just the Marvel? I don't know. They're, that's yeah, but they but they brought heroes back after it had been off the air for five or six years, and it was he, he, heroes. Yeah, it had is. Enough. Oh my god, so bad, so bad. You know, I wish I wish there had been a Flintstones uh, and, and, finale. You know, like where Barney and, dies of cancer, and well, you know, and they all well, move on a little. You, you you need you need to read the Flintstones twelve issue comic book series from a couple years in comics. Yes, a years so ago. good. Um, yeah, it, it's so good. It's mm-hmm. so good. Um, but anyway, and and so many of these series, you know, they they are much like this episode is becoming. They are mm-hmm. never ending. Um, never resolved. <laughs> no. Which never resolve. Uh, so, so much, most of them never resolve right. anything, uh, which, which is my cue. Right. Well, no, so I, I do want to, I mean, I, I wonder if at some point, and this is a you know, question for the listeners, you know, people can leave us comments. I, I think there's an alternate take you know, we're, we're bashing the things or I shouldn't even say bashing. We're critiquing because there's, there, there's been good and bad, but we're critiquing the, the idea of ending. But I wonder if there's a future show that we should do on the shows that end on a cliffhanger because either uh, shows, I should say literature, but um, probably mostly television shows given who our listeners are, but things, uh, things like um, uh, Gilligan's Island is not really a cliffhanger. They just didn't know they were going to get canceled. But, uh, but there's a show um, called revolution, which I love revolution lasted, I think two seasons. It was, it was basically a world where the power, where there's no electricity, there used to be electricity. And then for some reason, like 15, 20 years ago, electricity went away and they have to figure it out. It was, you watched it. Great show and um, never found its audience. And there's a massive cliffhanger at the end of season two and you don't get any more. Um, Angel does this and I, and I wonder if, you know, which uh, we're going to fight a dragon and it was finished in the comic books unsatisfyingly, but like the, but that's, that's the end of the show. And I wonder, tune in the next box podcast where we don't answer right. any of these questions. Right. And, and that's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> kind of, kind of what I'm wondering, what I'm wondering if there's, if there's a show in that, but we, like you said, we resolve nothing because I, cause I don't know that any, you know, Mike and I had that, that little argument about, you know, we can't all agree as to what an ending even should be. So we're never all going to agree on what the perfect ending to something is. And sometimes that's okay because why was game of Thrones a successful ending? Well, it got people to talk about game 
Game of Thrones a lot. That's something. Yeah. And we, in our culture, we want definitive answers. To def- <laughs> we want definitive endings. We want a clear story that has a clear moral so that we know what to take away from it. We can compartmentalize it and put it away. And I think this is also, this is a reflection of the way that we think about religion as well, right? Because there is a, there is a right way to believe in our culture, right? And, and we, we are forced to tolerate other people's religious beliefs, but we all secretly believe in our heart. I mean, anyone who's religious believes secretly in their heart that there is a right way. And I guess those of us who aren't religious also feel that there's a right way. Mm-hmm. And, and that the idea that there could be multiple right ways, right, that could interact with each other and create new possibilities, new horizons for imagination and, and personal development and social development, that is something that we have a really hard time with in our culture, you know? And, and George R. R. Martin should keep that in mind as he writes his <laughs> final books. Uh, that's right because Liana Mormont who is not even a character in the books yet clearly should be sitting on the Iron Throne but anyway I think we're to the point where we're getting silly again so it's it's an episode about endings that we don't know how to end that's right Uh, yeah so uh, good luck editing this in post (laughs) I think we can all agree though that Riverdale is the best show ever no no (laughs) oligarchy is marginally better than monarchy I think we can all agree about that marginally right, Mike thanks for joining us this week Hey, it's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here and not at all a waste of my incredibly valuable time. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, wow. Shade. And yeah, there's a shade I of the guy who was, was not the, the guy who we booked the show around and was 45 minutes late <laughs> to the time that he chose. <laughs> Are you going to play me like that, Matt? Are you going to tell right. everybody that I overslept? That's right. <laughs> uh, but if people want to yeah. follow you or learn more about you, or, or, or do you have anything to plug, anything that they should look at? Yeah. So, okay. Um, you can find me at the UCSC Theater Arts um, website, faculty. Hold on. I'm getting it. Um, uh, it's coming. It's linked in the it show notes. <laughs> Okay, you can find me at theater, that's E-R, dot U-C-S-C, dot E-D-U, slash faculty, slash Chemers, C-H-E-M-E-R-S, linked in the show notes. Uh, there you'll see uh, a very flattering picture of me and then some um, of my stuff. Um, my most recent book is called The Monster in Theater History. That's out from Rutledge University, uh, Rutledge Press. And I have a new book coming out. Uh, on the role of uh, dramaturgy in the digital age, which um, is going to be called, I think, systemic dramaturgy because we couldn't think of a more interesting name than that. (laughs) And Palindrome Hannah. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers, and I will probably not be tweeting about Game of Thrones because I've said everything I need to say on this show. Uh, But uh, I do want to plug um, a couple of smart things um, about Game of Thrones if you're interested in reading uh, analysis. You should read Jane Elliott's book, The Microeconomic Mode, which talks about not only Game of Thrones, but other things like uh, Gone Girl and 127 Hours in relation to like uh, our contemporary moment and like certain kinds of like games that um, intersect with like survival and choice. There's also an article that I referenced kind of, but not by name, called The um, Real Monster in Game of Thrones is its hidden reactionary ideology by Timothy Malone from True Doubt. And again, um, Marion Kersey wrote How Game of Thrones Bade and Betrayed the Disability Community that I referenced earlier in the show. So you can find all of those on the show notes uh, because they're really good and they're thoughtful and probably more interesting than anything I had to say, but whatever. Uh, Wayne, what about you? You can't find me. I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's true. Yeah. I've been looking for him for yeah, years. No, I have no I'm idea where he's right I'm an enigma. I I am slowly becoming the three eyed raven. Uh, <laughs> see, and I was I, I, I was going to go with you know a boy has no website, a boy has no internet presence, a boy has no. <laughs> that's good. Yes. yes, that's good. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my personal website at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast, on Instagram at Vox Popcast, on Facebook at www.facebook.com/slash/voxpopcast, or on the show's website at www.boxpopcast.com where we will announce the next show topic. We will ask you for feedback and we will somehow wrap it into an episode that we will do in the future. Uh, if you enjoy the show, we invite you to listen to listen and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And if you could do us a favor, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show through magical, mystical, three-eyed raven-like algorithms that no one understands but you know is important because it makes us feel better about ourselves or at least me and i would appreciate it and if you do so we will read the review on a future episode and in the meantime i would like to thank maximilian of thought for music for our epic theme song which is building ever so more epically and playing us out I'd like to once again thank our guest, Mike, for joining us for this ridiculousness. Thanks for leaving the back door open. <laughs> and I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Season five. Still going strong. He's still going strong.